Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Reclamation Podcast, where we're reclaiming practices for life and leadership in Christ. My name is Tony, and I'm your host, and I'm back today with a repeat offender, a name that if you're an OG listener to the podcast, you'll recall from, I guess it was about a year ago, Scott McGowan. Scott is a leader of leaders in the Dayton area. He is an absolute beast of a guy when it comes to culture. And what I mean by that is that he has literally written the book on how to develop a good culture in your workplace. His latest resource, Culture is an Inside Job, is a must read for any leader out there. And it's what I call sneaky Jesus, so it's not overtly filled with like scripture, but because Scott roots his life in Christ, you can kind of see it permeate through the writing. I know you're going to love this conversation. We talk all about culture, about how do we get rewarded, how do we get in trouble, about all the things that we all do as leaders. He's such, such a great man. I have a ton of respect for him. Here's my conversation with Scott McGowan. Scott, thank you so much for the time to be here today. Hey, well, thanks for having. Hey, thanks for everything that you do too. You just, I tell you, you just bring light to the to the world, and I'm grateful uh, for you. Well, uh, I'm just trying to keep up with all the work that you're doing, brother. Like it is, it is amazing to watch how God is working in and through your story. And uh, you remember last time you were here, I asked you about your calling, and that's generally where I start. But since since people can go back and listen to that episode, I'm going to go in a little bit of a different direction. And I'm, I'm going to ask you a, a kind of an abstract question first. Um, what does it mean to you to lead boldly? Ah, uh, great question. Um, I think, at least for me, it is uh, when I'm scared. Hmm. I'm scared of what other people are going to think about what I'm going to say or what other people are going to do because of what I want to do. Uh, when you just, you just kind of listen, you just kind of listen to the Holy Spirit, like come in you. Yeah. And it's just like, let's like, let's just, I, I hear that. And it's like, move, move, uh, move with words, move with your body. Um, and I think some people are afraid to move and sometimes we got to move. When did you realize that, um, fear doesn't get to be the primary voice of your life because I, I think there are a lot of us when you're like, man, when I'm scared, I'm not doing nothing. Like I'm, I'm sitting in my bed and I'm eating my Oreos and I'm just like shutting it down. But that moving is a, a vast difference from that. And I would imagine you didn't get there by accident. You know, honestly, I don't know when, but I watched my son do it. We were in mm. Oklahoma city and he was uh, interviewing a film school and there was a kid that was getting picked on in a, in a park downtown and it was a strange town. I'd never been there before. And I was watching it and I was just kind of like, Hey, let's like, let's go the other direction. And because I don't know what's going on. <clears throat> I don't know what these kids are doing. And I started to turn and then my son took off running and went towards that person that was being picked on. And I was like, it's even hard to talk about. Cause I was like, gosh, like a, like a 19-year-old kid's going to teach a 45-year-old man hmm. to move. And so we got back to the room. I got to talk to him about that. And, you know, he was talking about, you know, he just has a real low tolerance for, um, you know, for, uh, for, for people that are getting picked on. And I was, I was that was a big wake-up call for me. You know, I was trying to protect him. And quite frankly, I was tired. And I was like, I don't know what's going on over there. And. Somebody else will, you know, stick their nose in that. And I didn't. And he did. 
Wow. That's incredible. And then after that, is it just a series of remembering when, when you're faced against fear? Or is it just one of those things that was almost like, I'm not going back? I, well, that night I felt my heart race. Uh, and then uh, what, what I do today is your body tells you so much about yourself. Hmm. And if you can learn around the signals in your body, like when you're mad, what happens in your body? When you're sad, what happens in your body? When you're in fear, what happens? It's the earliest signal that we have for emotional intelligence. So for me, when my heart races, that tells me I've got to move. Uh, I've got to move. And the biggest thing that I've learned here, too, is um, it, it, like prayer in public. You know, yeah. when someone's just like something's hurting or something's not right and – and, um, and what I've most, what I've appreciated about that is a lot of people maybe are afraid of what are people going to think about me if I pray, but here's the most powerful thing is actually they're waiting for someone to do it. And mm. if you step out and do it, um, it's amazing. It's just incredible. So my heart tells me my, if it starts to race then that tells me I got to do something. Uh, so as we record this, um, your book has just entered the wild in full force. Congratulations, by the way. Thank I, you. I'm curious, is it is it now is out there and people have it in their hands? How how are you feeling? What has been your reflections? Take me through kind of the emotional roller coaster of book launch week. Yeah, it was. Uh, I'm I'm really glad it's over. I'll tell you that. <laughs> You know, because here's the thing, because you spend so much time on it. And to be honest with you, you really don't even know if it's going to be any good. Right. Yeah. And there's a lot of, you know, it's, you play golf, Tony. I do. Okay. So it's like you wake up, you're playing golf. You have all these grandiose visions about what a great score you're going to have. And then you come home, you're like, I hate this game. This game's terrible. <laughs> so hard. Yeah. <laughs> the so book hard. was kind of like the same way. Like, I wonder what this is going to be like. And then I had a lot of great help. Kendra Ramirez down in Cincinnati. She's a yeah. rock star. And then uh, Jody helped me with a lot of stuff. And then just sitting back and hoping that, you know, people would lean into it. And um, so it hit, I think, number one bestseller in seven categories, which was really cool, in ebook, And then a couple of bestsellers in paperback. Now, that's for the day. Right. So I'm not talking like it's. Yeah. 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 But still, you got to celebrate the victories. 100%. Yes. Yes. So it was, it was great. And now I'm getting some really nice, honest, humble feedback from people that have actually read like some of the stories in there. Well, you're, you're incredibly vulnerable in the book about kind of just your own stuff. And uh, we're going to jump into a couple different parts of the, the story and, and the book. And, but I thought it might be a good idea for us first to talk about the idea of culture. And one of the things that you talk about is that culture equals your reputation. And I'm wondering if you could kind of take us into, first of all, what's a good working definition of culture so that we can all be on the same page? And then two, when did you realize that the culture is also your reputation? Yeah, I always thought that, like I always thought like an entity defined the culture, like brick and mortar, a company. But it's actually the people that define that. Mm. And a culture in an organization, really, when people walk into a company or an organization, they look at two things. Number one is they look at um, how do I get rewarded around here? Number two, how do I get in trouble? Wow. And, if, and if that's confusing, your culture is wonky. 
and what I've learned in my career around culture is as leaders, what we tolerate is what we encourage. Mm. So if that's confusing to people, it's going to be very, very difficult. And and then unfortunately inside of organizations, they, you know, obviously the CEO's job and leadership's job is to, you know, carry the culture and move it forward. But that's really hard if if you're the only person carrying the, the torch. But if you've got an army of people that are behind you that believe in the same mission, the same vision, the same story, uh, then beautiful things can happen. So you have to find those people that will celebrate it, that will protect it, and that will that will honor it. But ultimately, and the reason, really the big premise for the book is, it, Tony, it's less probably about organizational culture and more about individual culture and how we care ourselves. Because um, there's a lot of young people out there that are great leaders and they're working in a really crappy company. Yeah. And they, they can actually change that company. A 25-year-old can change it. Just be brave. People want to follow someone. So if you're young out there, I'm going to tell you, go lead until someone tells you not to because mm. no one's going to tell you not to and they're going to keep following you and it, it's going to be awesome. You start the book off by talking about this idea of a destructive hero and how you're the case study of, of this uh, character. Can you kind of take us through that idea, destructive hero, and and how would you, how would I know if I am one? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a great a lot of well, obviously, a lot of destructive heroes have no idea that they sure. are one because it's really wrapped up in massive ego and massive pride. Uh, and it, f- for me, it was success equaled performance plus the opinions of others. So for me, it was. The more I, the more I had, so the more stuff I had, um, that would tell society that I was okay. And the faster I ran, it would tell everyone that, Hey, I'm really fast. I'm really successful. So it's a super wonky way to live through life. So I really didn't try to, uh, feed, um, myself deeply inside or individually. Uh, I tried to, your opinion of me meant more than my own opinion of myself. Hmm. Uh, and the only way to feed that is to like either materialistic, like through stuff, cars, clothes, homes, or, you know, may, number one in sales, or maybe it's alcohol. I mean, you pick, pick a poison because it's out there. Uh, and for the most part, a lot of destructive heroes are really successful. They're rock stars. Yeah. They manage the biggest accounts. They, they're, they're number one in sales. They're, they're all over the place. And so a lot of people, they're untouchable, you know, and I'm a founder's kid. Like who's going to come in and tell the founder's kid that he's a, a nut job, <laughs> right? <laughs> <laughs> okay. So how does somebody do that? Right. I mean, there's somebody listening right now who's leading a team that realize that they may have a destructive hero on there. What do you, what, what, first of all, how do you confirm that it's actually that they're a destructive hero? How do you know for sure? What are the signs? And two, what do you do about it? Yeah. I mean, well, in the book too, I talk about Victoria Rieger who worked here for 25 years, who came on my office and said, you have values painted on the wall. You don't exhibit one of them. And I have my own values and you torque them every day. Today's my last day. <laughs> hmm. 
So if you have an individual culture in your, in your, in your soul, in your mind, in your heart, in your spirit, then people that torque that culture be brave enough to call that out. Just be brave enough to call that out. Uh, and, um, Victoria was brave enough to call it out. And then if you're an organization and you have those rock stars, there's, there's like some math that I kind of walk through for a company to illustrate. So number one is count all the hours that you spend talking about this individual. Number two, take everyone's salary that's dealing with this individual Hmm. and divide all of those salaries by the number of hours that you talk about this person. Then you got to add up all the people that left your company because of this person, all the body bags you had to zip up, and then add that all together, and you're probably a third of the way there in regards to what that person's costing you. Wow. And then you just lay the hammer. You show them the bottom. You know, the bottom is a beautiful place to be, but you got two choices when you get there. You can dig or you can climb. So you can redeem a, a destructive hero. Uh, but it takes a lot of hard work, but it takes a lot of truth. Yeah. Yeah. One, one of the things that you talk about is this idea about uh, um, an authentic employee and creating a, a culture that allows people who they are. Um, how, how do we live in that tension of like, hey, I want to give you the truth that you show up this way. And also, I want you to be who you are. Because, I mean, what if who somebody is is kind of a jerk? Yeah. Well, you know what's great is when you have a great culture, you don't have to run them out. Other people will because <laughs> they won't tolerate it. That's just not the way we behave around here. It's just not. Mm. Uh, and Because here's the one thing we know, at least in McGowan and Braybender, and really what I'm passionate about is everybody comes to work with their whole life in their back pocket. Yeah. They come to work with divorce. They come to work with addiction, taking care of other parents. Your kids getting bullied at school, bad grades, marriage, relate all of that shows up at their desk. And employers that understand that employees don't leave that stuff at home, that all that stuff comes in the building and they embrace that and they bring to life vulnerability. It lets other people know, number one, they're not alone. Other people are broken just like me. And then it gives people the power and the strength to say, I'm going to do something about that. Mm. Do you think – talk to me about the steps because you guys didn't have that culture at McGowan Braybender um, prior to your big kind of conversion experience. What what happened after, you know, as you say, your butt fell off and you began to realize who you were? And then we talked about that in the last podcast. But how did you begin to turn the ship of this giant organization to really become uh, something that cares about culture in, in the way that it does today? You know, actually we did. We had a really good culture. It just wasn't very clear. Um, hmm. It just wasn't clear, but we were small. So we were all in one building. So all the evidence of treating people fairly and being kind and authentic and vulnerable, it was all within earshot and eyeshot. But when you open offices in Cincinnati, Indianapolis, you know, Columbus, you know, all of a sudden it's like this better be easier to see and feel. So we spent a lot of time articulating, you know, like what are our core truths? What do we believe in? What are some anchor statements? How do we make this come alive? We share hero stories every month with our workforce. So it's examples of real people doing beautiful work. 
and as a leader, you should be a great storyteller. Hmm. Um, and if you're a great storyteller, what's awesome is the people that aren't in the story, they, they'll start behaving because they want to be in the next chapter. Like, I want to be a part of a story. Yeah. So, and it's, it's, it's contagious. It's like, I want to be, I want to, I want to have someone read something about me next month. So I'm going to go off the grid and do something. It's really cool. I imagine there's a leader listening right now who's like, Scott, like that sounds awesome, but I'm a horrible storyteller. Is, is that a skill that can be learned? How do you get better at it? Yeah. You know, it, it's a great question, but I would encourage someone to think about the most beautiful experience they've ever um, been a part of. Could be a mm. wedding, could be a trip, could be a vacation. And a way to be a great storyteller is to actually have the other person close their eyes and you can close your eyes and tell that person the story about that event and everything that happened, what, what you could smell, what you could see, what you could feel. Um, and that's all storytelling is. It's to bring alive the senses, what I saw, what I heard, what I felt. Uh, and I mean, everyone's a good storyteller. Uh, now, as your leader of, a, of an organization, if you can't tell a compelling story about your company, you've got a problem. Because <laughs> <laughs> <clears throat> you should really believe it. Because your workforce, they're waiting for you to tell a story about your company. Because they're a part yeah. of it. They're a part of it. When you think about your faith and impact in culture, I, I mean, I know that you're very intentional about um, bringing – Jesus in, in in appropriate ways and leading from that perspective. Um, it feels like as I was kind of getting familiar with the book that it it's your a lot of your culture was based on biblical principles without saying them, like sneaky Jesus. Talk to me about the intersection of culture and faith. Um, you know, for someone who's leading a team or or for you who's leading a organization like McGowan Brabender. Yeah. You know, for me, and I've said this before, but like I'm on the recruitment committee, not the membership committee. Yeah. And I do believe that no faith is faith in something. Hmm. So in, in our, in our faith, we are called to be attractive, not promoting. And then, you know, when I found, when I found God, it was, I was freaked out by heebie-jeebie words and heebie-jeebie words were like the word witness and even the word gospel is like, I don't like, I don't understand that. And then so in my own voc vocabulary is how, how do I, how do I change those words? They mean the same, but they sound differently. So how do I, how do I share with someone my journey? Um, and that's, a, that's Whitney's thing, right? And, and how do I share the gospel? And that's just the really good news of life and what's possibility. Uh, and, um, you know, you go back to the Beatitudes, uh, and you, you just talk about that, you know, like I love it said, like blessed are the meek. Like, I don't want to be meek, but yeah, you do mm. want to be meek. You want to be humble. Mm. You want to be vulnerable. And even if I'm wrong, and I was talking to someone about this the other day and said, I'm going to, let me read these beatitudes to you. And if I'm wrong and I'm food for worms, I get, I get these as my legacy to my kids and my grandkids and to society today. That's what I get yeah. if I'm wrong. But what if I'm right? And I know I'm right. Mm. 
And um, you can change that language inside the organization. And everybody wants faith in something. Everybody wants faith in something. Hey, guys, just pausing this conversation with Scott to remind you to check out our new website, follow to leadcoaching.com, follow the number two leadcoaching.com. We'll link to it in the show notes. But essentially what it is, is it's my new venture to walk alongside leaders just like you. People who are trying to root themselves in their mission, vision, values, trying to figure out what their strategic objectives are and how, how do you get them done in a timely manner. This is all about coaching and planning. And if you're a leader who feels alone, if you're a leader who is isolated, if you want a little boost, a little pick me up, reach out. I'd love to work with you and your team, whether that be coaching or strategic planning. It's an incredible opportunity for us to connect. And the best way to do that, follow the number two leadcoaching.com. Now, let's finish up this conversation with Scott. So then is your constant process to give a vision of what they could have faith in? Is it is it constantly casting towards the future? Or you know, talk to the leader out there who's like, man, I'm just not sure what the next step is outside of like hitting a sales goal. But I think what I hear you saying is it's got to be something more than that. Oh, 100%. It's got to be more than, you know, I, I think it is. And I was, I've always said the mirror is a wonderful place to find a friend. Yeah. And if you're not a friend to yourself, then it's going to be really hard to be a friend to other people. And so if you're, the first step, at least for me, was around self-awareness of who I am. Hmm. And self-awareness in regards to who I am, it meant like looking at all of it, the good, the bad, and the ugly. Uh, the good is obvious. It comes out. It stands in front of us. Um, the bad is getting that out of your head and out of your mouth and on paper or in somebody else's ear and get all of that gunk behind you. We all make mistakes. And then when, when we can begin to accept ourselves, we can accept other people. And we can accept other people. We can accept their shame, their guilt, their past, their struggles. And it builds confidence uh, in them when we're vulnerable enough to have those conversations with them. So I'm, I'm not sure I answered your question very clearly. Um, but our job, our job, and my, I shouldn't say our job, my job, is to bring light into the darkness. Yeah. And everybody's broken. Everybody's hurting. Everybody, even the people with all the makeup on and the suits on and the fancy homes and self-centerville or ego wood. <laughs> and I live there. Yeah. Everybody's struggling with something. And, and, and when you can be vulnerable enough and you can crack that mortar and bring light into that, you can change the world. But if you're just putting concrete over that every day because you want to look big and st- and strong and tall. Um, I lived that life and that life sucked. It sucked. Uh, on last time you were on the podcast, one of the things that you talked about was that, that you could see the finish line of your time at um, McGowan Braybender. Like it's, it's there, right? You can see it. It's out there. Um, it's, one of the things that was really interesting about the the resource, this book, is that you talk about what it means to future-proof the culture. 
And I'm wondering if you could kind of dive into this idea about how you, how you came up with this, like, this is how we're going to prevent the culture from getting off the rails, even when I'm not here or when the next CEO is not here, like that sort of thing. And kind of paint that picture for us. Yeah. I mean, it's just relentless communication, Hmm. you know, and as a leader too, when, when you think you're tired of talking about it, like, ah, they all get it. Um, you're not even a third of the way there. Um, you just have to rinse and repeat, rinse and repeat, rinse and repeat. And then give people, you know, specific examples. Like one of the things we say is, you know, um, you know, making the future brilliant. And then we have anchor statements beneath that. And we believe that the future belongs to the curious and the brave. Uh, and so we'll talk about that in a video format. We'll talk about that in email format. We'll talk about it in an employee format. And there are some people that say, yeah, I got it. I got it. I got it. I'm like, okay. But we just hired four more people yesterday. And guess what? They don't have it. Yeah. So we're going to just keep talking about it, keep talking about it, keep talking about it. Uh, and um, if there's anything to really get in the core and the essence of the workforce, it's a strong belief in what the company believes in. Here, here, Because this is what I believe. When you build a culture like that, and, and I'll just talk about McGowan Brabender. I look at McGowan Brabender today as an entity. And I look at, I look at McGowan Brabender as a her, as a woman. She's mm. a, she's a lady. We treat a lady with respect. We affirm that lady. We nurture, we take care, we protect her. So it's not Scott McGowan saying, this is what we're going to do. And then we sold our company to our employees. So they're all owners. So our job is to protect this entity this beautiful thing that we're a part of not to make Scott McGowan happy. Does that make sense? Yeah. Well, that's a lot cooler than making me happy is making the future happy. Uh, and it's, um, I mean, it, it, should I say it's hard work? Yeah. Cause it's, it, it takes time. And as a leader, other leaders will come up and say, man, you're talking about that too much and don't listen to them. Just keep talking about it. Keep talking about it. Keep talking about it. And when you're tired, keep talking about it. <laughs> keep talking about it. <laughs> uh, when you think about the next decade from a go and brave under, like, um, is it is it fair to think that some of the culture and the kind of the anchor statements will shift? Is it one of those things that should should let me ask this another way? Should I be evaluating some of my um, anchor statements in my own life as seasons change? Oh, absolutely. I mean, because I know right now, I mean, there's a big meeting behind me that that I'm not in because um, it's all the leaders in the organization. And I'm the doors closed. And I'm like, man, like I used to be I used to be in that meeting. I'm not in the meeting. You used to run that meeting. I know. <laughs> um, but the thing is, is I trust them. Yeah. And I know, and they're doing a beautiful job. And the best I can do is step away and give them the encouragement and the empowerment to go make a beautiful difference. And they are, they're, they're, they're doing a wonderful job. But so as a leader, instead of me being curious about what's going to happen, what I'm really doing is reflecting on, um, the great work that I did. Hmm. Like, you know, I left kind of stepped away at, you know, after 34 years 
And I can, I can burden myself with saying, why are they doing that today? That doesn't make any sense. Or I can say, hey, look, I brought us through, you know, the shift in the Affordable Care, Care Act, brought us through uh, managing COVID, brought us through like, you know, an ESOP, like brought, like I can look back and say, hey, like I did a pretty good job. Ah, there's certainly I could have done better. There's probably even better leaders that could have done a better job than I did. But looking back, in my opinion, has been what a blessing that's been. That's been amazing. Mm. But they're probably going to change the vision. They're probably going to change the mission. Uh, they're probably going to um, – every culture should adapt to change. Psychological, you know, when you look at it, like socioeconomic issues in regards to the culture, it will shift. And they need to change that without, you know, tapping me on the shoulder and saying, hey, is this okay? Like, hey, if you yeah. believe it, go. Yeah, I think that's that's beautiful if you believe it, go. I want to take the idea of culture being an inside job. I want to take that a little bit smaller um, to your family. Like one of the things that you mentioned very vulnerably at the last podcast was that um, you may not have have led your family as well as you've led your your place of work. Um, and so I, I'm curious if you could talk to the the mom or dad who's listening who wants to create an intentional culture in their family life. Like if they want to create that with their home and maybe they have small kids or like me, they've got medium sized kids. And uh, you know, what, what, what are some of the steps that you recommend to start impacting the culture within the, the place that we call home? Yeah. Great question. <laughs> it, I, I think for looking back, unfortunately I had a behavior in this building and I had a behavior at home. Then I had a behavior on the golf course and I did behavior at church and I had a behavior everywhere. So I was a chameleon uh, and tearing down those masks is really hard. Uh, but, you know, honestly, I think if you're willing to sit down with your family and talk to them uh, and I'd probably spend some time, you know, writing some 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 things out and then maybe a great place to start would be even before you were married or before you even had children as a husband or a wife or a mother or a father, this is what I wanted to do. This is the father mm-hmm. I wanted to be. This is the husband I wanted to be or, or the wife. And then get real honest about that. And then you, you know, if you're super honest about it, there's gigantic gaps in that. Yeah. But if I was sitting down with my dad and he, and he said, hey, look, like I wanted to spend more time with you. And I had a promise to myself that I would do that with my kids. And I failed you. And I want to I try to be different. Help me. I think help is the most powerful word in the English language. And if you're super authentic with your, with your son or your daughter or your wife around, you know, I'm, like I'm, I'm lost and, and I need help. I want to be this person here and I'm not, I'm not, you know, I'm not, I know I'm not. Um, can you help me? And who knows what might come out of that? Really cool stuff could come out of that. Here's the one thing I love about children. Um, their memories aren't as long as ours. Hmm. You know, sometimes us as adults, man, we got a brain like an elephant. We will never let people forget, but some, children they, they are so accepting that 
they'll forget the deadbeat dad if the, if mm-hmm. if the dad redeems and restores himself they'll they'll forget that dad and that new dad's available that new mom's available i've seen it a hundred times in recovery and it's the most beautiful thing in the world so just get honest get super honest with yourself when you look at your kids today um how do you how do you see that honesty that you've shared being passed on to them i mean you've already shared one story like but now that i'm i'm, I'm kind of looking specifically from the grandparent seat right like you're shifting culture now kind of from the outside in inside out kind of it's a way different vibe in the I would imagine in in your family now that you're the grandpa and not just the dad and you've got more time than you've ever had and filling it up with things that you want to do more intentionally. What's that like uh, kind of steering the ship from the outside or, or are you, I don't even know. Yeah. It's, you know, I tell you, it's amazing too. I'm, I'm watching like our daughter and son-in-law raise our grandkids and, and to be honest with you, I mean, uh, I don't know what it's like to be a mom and it was like to be a dad and, and, so I'll just compare my daughter to me, but she's a better mother than I ever was a dad. And I'll mm. give you an example. I was, we were, we were, um, oh, in the Exumas and, uh, my grandson wanted to go down this like rapid thing. And, and my granddaughter is three and she just jumps in and goes down with a little, you know, floaties on and well, he starts crying and he loses his mind and he's really throwing a fit. And finally he gets in and he comes to the shore and my granddaughter looks at him and says, and she calls him Bubby. And the captain of the boat sitting right there and she says, Bubby, Bubby, you conquered your fears. Now you can enjoy your day. And I'm like, <laughs> what in the world? So I That's asked my amazing. daughter and then every night when Ellison goes to bed, I mean, she, she, she tells her and she asked her to repeat it, you know, you are brave. You are beautiful. You are smart. And she has Ellison say that. I didn't Mm. teach her that. But I do think some examples of being vulnerable, being a better dad than I was before, maybe told her, hey, maybe I can I can take nuggets of that and grow and carry that into my own kid's life. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah, this is so good. Um, I I have one more question for you uh, about culture that I want to get to in just a second. I, I know that um, my podcast family is going to want to connect with you. Where's the best place where people can pick up their copy of the book? Where's the best place to stay in touch with you? If they want to watch Thankful Thursdays with Scott, where do they where do they get all those things? Yeah, when I retire, I don't know where, the, where Thankful Thursday is going to go. I don't know. We'll see. But, uh, you know, LinkedIn, uh, Scott McGowan, uh, you know, Twitter, Instagram, uh, my email is scottmcgowan at gmail.com. Uh, and the book is uh, amazon.com. <clears throat> Culture is Perfect. an inside Easy. job. And we'll link to all that in the show notes, of course. Uh, so if you're driving, don't worry about it now. I got you covered. Uh, here's the question. Let's say that you're talking to a young leader, a young Christian leader who's just stepped into their first big management role, but they've got team members around them and now they're leading for the very first time and they want to build a culture that uh, promotes their faith 
in a way that is authentic and promotes something bigger than just the bottom line. What piece of advice are you giving to that young leader? Oh, good question. Um, I'm a big fan of writing things down, getting the trash mm-hmm. out of our head. I, I think for that young leader would be to really sit down and maybe explore what they wished somebody would have done for them. Mm. So if they could have reflected on, you know, one of the things you wish they would have enc- other people would have encouraged or said. Uh, and then think about take, carrying it from that point because that's a real point of honesty is, hey, I'm a brand new leader and I'm really trying my best. And as I've thought about this conversation with you, I've had a conversation with someone just like me. Hmm. But I wish, it, I wish it would have gone this way. So this is the way I'm going to carry the conversation. And I think that would be just a beautiful beginning because there's no motive there. Does that make sense? There's no sure. motive and then, uh, you know, and honestly, I tell a lot of leaders this too, you know, we, we all have like employees addresses, right? So like, I know I could find your address, but sometimes you get in your car and drive by their house, understand their world, go to their desk, go to their cube, look at the pictures on their cube. They have mm. grandparents, kids, they like the Bengals, they hate the Bengals. You know, they have stuff all over their office environment that says these are important to me. And if you don't know that, because it's 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 there every day. Yeah. And last time I checked, you've got keys to the building. You can go there anytime and sit in their chair and experience what they what what they care about and know about that. Take notes uh, and um, just be just don't don't try to read some leadership book and take an agenda, just be, just be honest and, and yeah. humble uh, with people because as nervous as you are, they're 10 times more nervous. <laughs> <laughs> so now that the book is out in the world, what's the next creative venture that you're going to embark on? You know, I don't know. Book I number two. I, you know, we started a podcast, Cultures and Inside Jobs. So we're kicking that off. It was really kind of cool. We've got like 12 episodes. So we'll do that. And then I've got a deep passion for um, mental health and substance abuse. So mm-hmm. I've got a lot of energy around. Is there a new engine that maybe I, I could create? But, I, I, you know, I told my wife, Lori, is, you know, you followed me for 35 years. And um, I'll follow you in the last third. Um, yeah. So me doing nothing doesn't end well for humanity or anybody. Um, but if you raise your hand outside of ballroom dancing, I think I'll do just about anything. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's so good. Scott, thank you so much for um, what you've poured into our community and for this writing and for your heart. And uh, it's just an absolute joy to get to talk with a leader, your magnitude and to see how God is working in and through your life. So thank you. Well, thank you for uh, honestly, uh, for being a friend and thank you for uh, being in such uh, an encourager. Know that, uh, you know, the things that you do uh, matters and without, you know, without Jesus in my life, I can't even imagine uh, what my life would, uh, would look like, but man, it's just, you know, and I, and I know you're wrapping up, but um, 
I feel like I'm in heaven right now. And I know heaven's going to be better than this. Um, so uh, it is, uh, it's been an incredible ride and I'm looking forward to the future with people like you. So keep doing the good Amen, work. Amen, brother. Amen. Loved, loved, loved this conversation with Scott. I appreciate his gift of storytelling and how he does it so well about how faith is such an integral part of his life and how we bring it all to the table with us. The idea that we, every person in our organization brings something with them is such an incredible gift. Um, do me a favor, pick up a copy of Scott's latest book, Culture's an Inside Job. Follow him on LinkedIn. I'll link to it in the show notes. And uh, hey, share this episode with a friend. Maybe somebody who you know wrestles with culture. And if there's anything I can use to help you, let me know. You can hit me up on LinkedIn or Instagram. As always, guys, I'm incredibly thankful for you. And remember, if you want to follow Jesus, you must be willing to move.